0: This is CJ Baker, and this is episode 23, The Ongoing History of Protest Music. This is the companion podcast to the website, OngoingHistoryOfProtestsongs.com. So our special guest is art rock musician, Kapil Sasezi. Did I pronounce that right at all?
1: (laughs) Kapil but Valiant Attempt. Valiant Valiant Cool. Okay so we got it.
0: So yeah. i like thank you for being here.
1: Oh no, my pleasure's all mine. Thanks for having me.
0: So of course you're in Scotland and I'm in Canada so we're doing this over Zoom so we all social distancing. So how are you making out with the pandemic?
1: It's a funny one I think because a lot of musicians have had a really bad year in terms of what's possible. You know you can't go on tour You can't really, you can't go out and really promote your record or any new music in the usual way. But I've kind of I've been used to going online and finding an audience internationally for a long time because when I started making political music, it wasn't music that was immediately relevant to people in Scotland. Or I couldn't I couldn't find my audience. So I kind of felt like, okay, if I'm gonna go and find the people who care about what I wanna say, I've got to go online. So I'd end up going online and doing a lot of the stuff that musicians everywhere are having to do because of the pandemic but in like 2017 or 2018 when I worked on my first like full-length album of Sacred yep. Four I was going online and I was finding musicians in India and in Canada where you are actually yep. in America and in Europe yep. who were vibing with what I was talking about and singing about and yeah I feel like this year I've mostly just been continuing my ongoing conversation with them I'm very um communicative with my audience like yep. there's a lot of back and forth and I feel like it's been a I don't want to say the pandemic was a good thing but I feel like this is a year where a lot of people have found my music and I've weirdly had a lot of progression within my career despite not being allowed to tour or oh. not being allowed to play physical gigs in a literal sense but yeah it's been a really good year Um I finally managed to find a management team and I okay. got signed to the same uh, live agency that's got like Bob Dylan and Neil Young and Chris oh, on it so it's, yeah. it's it's ironic because I'm signed to this massive live agency in a yeah. year where gigs aren't allowed so <laughs> when gigs finally come back I'll have this amazing outlet for playing shows and stuff but um, yeah. yeah it's through a mix of online showcasing events like there's a Scotland has like an equivalent showcase event to South by Southwest called Wide Days and I played okay. that with my live band but what we did was we recorded a set in an empty venue basically with social distancing and broadcast it as a live stream and an agent who works with acts like um you know uh, bob dylan and neil young heard this watched the stream was really into it and he said yeah i want to work with you but i don't know i don't know when we're going to start working together (laughs) because of covid so fair enough but Coming back to the protest theme, the thing he really liked about my set was in between every song, I kind of went into a little bit of detail about what the narrative and the politics behind these songs okay, were. Good. So Yeah, long story short, yeah. it's, been a good, it's been a good year, but a difficult time for everyone playing music. But for me personally, yeah. it's been a year of loads of growth and doing things, yeah.
0: Okay, good. I guess you're already accustomed, you said, to doing the live streams.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's yeah, it. so it wasn't
0: as big of an adjustment.
1: Um, yeah it's funny because um, we were discussing this before the recording like yep. uh, I toured Canada for the first time in 2018 and my, yep. record had been out. my record had been out for a small length of time before that but I toured uh, Toronto and yep. St. Catharines and like yep. uh, London, Ontario and then okay. I went to Quebec and did Montreal and yep. um, And I forget the rest of the dates. So so, it's been so, so, so long. It feels like it was only two years ago, but it feels like a long time ago. But I arrived in Canada and... um, People already knew my music, and people were already asking for certain songs on oh, this awesome. Yeah, people, only, this record had only been out for yeah. two months, and yet people yeah. were going, hey, are you playing this song today? Are you playing mm-hmm. that? I would always say, you're getting every song off the album, even if you don't like that song. you Because those today. are the songs you have.
0: Yeah, you're getting all the
1: songs I can play. But um, yeah, I went over to Canada, and the, yeah. the culture's amazing. People People yeah. buy merch, like, It's not really a thing in the UK for DIY music. Um, People buy merch, people engage with your stuff. Again, if you're from Scotland and you play to other people in Scotland, it's not exotic to be playing to people in your hometown. But, you know, all of a sudden you're in a room full of people who sound nothing like you. But some of their struggles are the same as yours. And, you know, when you're talking about politics and yeah. everyone in the room is vibing on that, it's, it's a really powerful thing. And yeah. going to Canada made me realize that there was a lot of purpose to what I was doing. And I would have never learned that if I just stayed in the UK. So yeah, yeah, it's nice to be able to get out there and meet people who vibe with what you're doing, and, you know, meeting people online. And
0: stuff. Yeah, because Toronto has a very diverse cross yeah. section of people. And some yeah, of those yeah. other places you mentioned, like yeah. St. Catherine and London, Maybe not as diverse, but the college and university towns.
1: Yeah, yeah a yeah. lot of the young people that tend to be a bit more open-minded. Mm-hmm. Um, I remembered now it was a Montreal Ottawa that I played. Oh, okay, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And um, Ottawa was this like Ottawa was a really moving show for me. It was like okay, good. we played this tiny show in like a bookshop. It was like a bookshop slash coffee place. But okay. I was tour I was tour support for a much more famous artist who'd sold out the venue. But yeah. I kind of assumed. Hey, I'm just opening for my for this friend of mine who's way more famous than I am every yeah. night. And everyone. I'm just kind of rushing through my set so that the main act can come on and blow everyone away. But I arrived in Ottawa and quite a few people had arrived, more to see me, and that had never happened to me before. Oh, wow. I think when you're, just, when you're an independent musician and you're not used to filling big rooms and stuff, it's a, it's a big deal, especially when you've traveled... 24 hours or something all door to door just to get there. You think, yeah. hey, no one knows who I am. You know, why, who, who's going to care what I've got to say, right. but to have folk come up, it's sometimes, you, you know, I'm sure other musicians you've interviewed have this experience yeah. where you really care about a cause, you sing about yeah. it. And then someone comes up to you at the merch desk and said, I felt that, that thing that you sang about. And that's like the biggest feeling. It makes you feel like everything you've done feels really meaningful even if just for that second that someone says that to you so yeah getting online and chatting to people has been amazing
0: awesome experience there so you already touched upon that in 2018 you released your debut album a sacred ball Mm -hmm. so what was the motivation behind that album
1: yeah so the main the the principal, like thing I wanted to achieve with that album was I wanted to discuss and kind of raise a bit more awareness of this really underreported human rights tragedy yeah. the Indian caste system which is like a social hierarchy originally within Hinduism but yeah. it eventually ended up in like Sikhism and Islam and yeah. Christianity as well and
0: yeah
1: wherever South Asian people kind of migrate to and in India itself and in Pakistan etc yeah. you know there is this social hierarchy and it brings yeah. with it a lot of weird kind of sectarian like culture, cultural kind of bigotry almost. It's like someone like a caste is a social hierarchy. It's almost like a social class. And the way I think about it, the easiest way I would think about it is to describe it is you have you are born into a certain caste. And that comes with its own share of either privileges or, you know, their lack of almost. So you come if you come from a good from a high caste in the pyramid you know, everyone below that pyramid has to, you know, weirdly bow down to you as if you're entitled to their time and their resources. Yep. And you get, you're entitled, you know, you're not just entitled to other people's time and attention, yep. you get opportunities. And, you know, I would describe it as when someone's born into, a, you know, say someone in the West is born into a background where their mom and their dad are really well connected. They're higher yep. politicians. They've, they know people in the banks and they've got these opportunities. You know, you can always spot it when someone, someone who might, you know, someone from a really uh, um, middle class or above background yeah. claims they've worked for everything when they were probably born into loads of yeah. opportunities. you know they do because, it. <laughs> yeah, they just, they just don't want to tell people that. That yeah. stays in small print. Caste is really similar. It's like yeah. you're born into an upper caste family. You know, you can, you have access to, you know, networks of other upper caste people if yeah. you want to migrate out of India. And, but the weird thing is, the weird thing is, you have to kind of stay within your caste. So yeah. you have to keep the purity almost by only marrying people of that class and only hanging out with people, and yeah. being friends with that. And the weirdness kind of and the dissonance comes when people of different castes want to feel yeah. equal or they want to intermingle or marry or whatever. Yeah. And I wanted to report on things like, there's a lot of bigotry from upper castes yeah. to lower ones thinking that they're not as good as they are just because of uh, the way they're interpreting a Hindu holy book or a Sikh yeah. holy book or whatever. But the other side of it's really violent like there's a lot of honor killings where families literally put hits out on their own kids if they don't marry within caste and there's really horrible shit like people not getting the jobs that they're entitled to, people not getting the opportunities in life, the opportunities in love, all these things because of of a genetic lottery they may or may not have won. It's madness and I grew up with that in the background as a kind of a spectator okay. and you know I, I've yeah. never I've never been a victim of casteism so to speak but yeah. being a spectator to that really bothered me and I thought I really need to start a conversation about this. There is a conversation about it happening already but I wanted to throw my hat in the ring and do something and you know what do i do i'm a musician so i thought yeah hey before this i kind of made experimental kind of industrial kind of noisy music and it was okay for what it was but i thought what am i really saying with what i what what i'm playing you know what what am i singing about what are my songs even about and i started singing songs and writing songs about cast and then i thought right i'm gonna do a whole concept album about this and Talk about all the different ways caste manifests itself and all the negative things about it and but also celebrate the bravery of people who are um singing against the horrors of caste. Um there's some there's a really meta song in the album where it's a protest song about caste written about a protest singer who sings against caste. Yeah. I had a feeling that it would a lot to her, of that only to make it worse, for all no, I should have been of, as a token of my only love. Ironically that's the most popular song on the album Wherever I go people usually People who know my stuff usually request that song So they can't do it You know when we were talking When you first reached out to me About what my favourite protest music is yeah. I kind of boiled it down to The music that made me want to get political in the first place but then also the music that makes me you know the music that teaches me about a cause that I don't already know about like there was a Scottish band a really really great Scottish punk like the kind of indie pop punk band that I know the singer from growing up and he um he's trans as in like I knew him pre-transition in university and he started this band called Spook School and Spook School write kind of like punk songs about being trans but they protest against the idea that being trans is weird and not a yeah. completely normal state of mind and not a thing that should be celebrated and yeah. I used to go watch my when I was an experimental musician who was kind of apolitical yeah. I would go watch my friend perform and the guy like he um he's a sloppy guitar player like he's not the most technical musician but yeah. he played with such passion and like every gig would be rammed full of people who just cared about the same issue and I thought yeah man, they're doing so much and every song only has three chords of it. And all the yeah, songs, yeah. some of the songs sound really similar are in the same key, but there's so much passion and vitality to what yeah, they're it doing. Yeah, so it makes Maybe. up for the
0: limitations.
1: Yeah, and I was yeah. sitting there going, I don't, my music's doing nothing compared to this. What the hell? And I went home and I thought, right, I want to make, make music like this. But yeah. that kind of, co- it was a coincidence that at the same time I was going to gigs like this in basements in Scotland, I yeah. was also thinking about identity and things and I was going, hey, why aren't I writing more protest songs? And now I went from having this kind of moment of clarity to everything I do being protest music related. I mean, I can't separate that protest narrative from what I do anymore. That's what I live and breathe as a musician. And it's nice because I feel like you feel like you almost wonder if you were wasting your time before not doing things that were political, you know, but I feel like, you know what, you can make it for lost time. It's never too late to get into your, tr- to find your true calling. And to me, that's writing songs like this about things like cast yep. and how terrible it is. So yeah, you know, talking about the horrors of cast and celebrating the bravery of those fighting against it was more or less what the album was trying to do. So, yep. you know, to varying degrees, I felt like I succeeded with it, but you know, I'm obviously working on new material after that that expands on some of the stuff I was talking about on A Sacred Boar while also kind of adding new things to the mix and exploring, like my new album's going to be about Bollywood and Indian cinema, but I'm exploring a lot of the same themes as before just through this yeah. new lens of Bollywood and Indian cinema. Yeah.
0: Because that album, The Sacred Boar, that's basically it's the first album of a planned yep. trilogy, right?
1: Yep, yep. That's the one.
0: Okay, good. So and then of course you mentioned you're working on your second album. Mm-hmm. So I know you've already released I think you released about at least three singles from that album.
1: Yeah, yeah. So yeah. there'll be because of so the original plan was just to kind of drop the album like late yeah. this year, but with COVID and because yeah. I've got this bigger I think when my first album was so DIY. My first album yeah. was I played all the instruments, I'm everything on every song. Um, yeah. a friend of mine mixed it for me. And then um, I had to pay for the vinyl pressing, the merch, the touring. It was all me. Whereas for this new record, there's a new infrastructure behind me after I got kind of on this agency and having a manager and stuff. And it's like, hey, if the first album made it into Pitchfork and Vice and Rolling Stone and The Guardian and all that, and I was playing South By off the back of it, why can't the next album be a bit bigger in scope? Why not be ambitious? So I think I was originally going to drop the album this year, but I've decided that because of Covid and the need to, you know, be able to stay on the map and keep doing things without being able to tour. I'm going to wait until we're maybe out of the pandemic yeah. before I drop the record. So we're looking at the moment at August or September 2021 for a release. Okay. But rather than vanishing off the scene until then, I'm going to be dropping two more singles off the album. It's okay. a longer album, so it's not like I'm giving the whole thing away. Yeah. But- I feel like you drop two more singles between now and then. You've got two more opportunities to tell your story, talk about a new protest narrative, and keep you Mm -hmm. keep the yarn going, keep the story going, you know. And it's just because if I sat on an album for another year and then dropped it, it would just feel really stale. I want this to be. I want there to be this continuous momentum. And yeah, I think September, October. August September twenty twenty one seems to be the likely date, but I'll obviously be in yeah. touch with you the minute we've got an official kind of release date.
0: That's just something to look forward to.
1: Yeah, yeah, but that's
0: fun. But for now, you're whetting our appetite with the singles, and I know yeah, some yeah, of the sing. It. I know some of the singles have remixes as well. So,
1: mm. so the remixes that's thing, cool. the remixes thing was really fun because I'm a really like I'm a punk guy at heart. Like yeah. I'm just you know I'm used to doing. I'm used to put out a single. Maybe you'll yeah. do a music video, but then. The most important thing is, you know, you get on Gmail and you send fifty hundred emails out and you try and speak to every promoter in the country and you try and get shows up and down the UK. The UK is really small, so you could play a 10-day tour and cover every region of the UK. It's not really possible to do like a 60-day tour unless you included Europe or North America. Whereas in Canada, you could just keep going because of all the distances and stuff and all the massive like places you could cover yeah whereas we got U- as many
0: people but we're broad
1: yeah yeah that's it that's it whereas in in the UK it's like I would just be so used to write single Now Nelson for a 15-day tour or something yeah. and like that could consist of you know little more than just a few dates in Scotland a few dates in England and maybe to Ireland and Wales as well just to top it all off but with this new album like with the new singles yeah. you can't you can't go outside there's no touring to be done yeah. so I thought hey how do I because one of my favorite things about touring is collaborating like you'll go to the other end of the country and you'll share a bill with a punk band from another part of the country and you'll have similar politics hopefully but you'll be from different backgrounds and it's cool to collaborate on a show or something and I thought how can I do that without breaking lockdown rules basically so I thought hey why don't I speak to some producers or musicians and go, hey, how would you feel about remixing the song? Because it gets the message of the song out there. It gets people talking about what the song is about. But it's also like, you know, you, I mean, you know, anyone you speak to who plays music, by the time you release the song, you've heard it so many times. Then you send the strands away to a producer or something, and then you, um. You get the remix back and you go, hey, I've never heard that part of the song repurposed this way. And it's it's a really exciting way to listen back to your own music almost. Because I sent my I sent, I think it was, yeah, I sent the pink mirror off to okay. this producer. This, I sent the pink mirror off to this producer who'd worked with like Fiona Apple and oh. Fiona Colbert. Okay. Sorry, Fiona Apple and Stephen Colbert and yeah. uh, NPR. She's done all this massive shit. And she remixed the song and she took this kind of, she took this tiny guitar solo at the end of the song and made it the whole song. And I thought, okay. I would have never thought to do that. It was great, but yeah, I think That's it's just, cool. and I think with the new album, you've probably noticed that I've gone from the co- the kind of guy with guitar sound of the first yeah. record to this kind of synthy, groovy, yeah. R&B kind of sounding thing with the new album. And it's like learning about that kind of music was really exciting because you learn about all the things that culturally make it what it is. and. It's got this rich culture of um remixes and you know yeah. guest spots and records. And yeah. I think that's really cool. And I thought, yeah. hey, I want I want a bit of that action. So I was reaching out yeah. to people that I knew for remixes. You know what the old I feel like if you're punk bands or guys with guitars, yeah, equivalent to that would be, you know, it would be like covering a friend's song at a show or doing a yeah. cover of a sick song that you heard about something yeah. you wouldn't remix it as such but I don't really like playing by the rules of genres I like doing whatever I like at the time so yeah getting out there doing the remixes it's been really fun I think nowadays like you talk about punk I think true
0: punk is not following the rules so
1: yeah exactly
0: So sometimes you're punk by not being punk so
1: at the funniest yeah and the funniest thing is um you get people who were punks in the 70s and yeah. they gatekeep and they kind of gatekeep what punk is now like yeah you go to a gig like for a long like one of my um I have to shout out there's this amazing independent label in uh, Scotland in a part of Scotland called Dundee they're called make that take records I'll okay. share their work with you after this because mm-hmm. they specialize in like political music and punk oh, music cool. and they put on this amazing like DIY festival every December Obviously couldn't do it this year because of COVID, but for like yeah. sixteen years before that, every single yeah. year. And they were one of the first people in like Scotland to really give me a chance because my music yeah. falls into loads of different things. And a lot of yeah. people kind of go, This isn't really punk. There's like loads of drum machines and like loads of synths and stuff. Yeah. I don't this doesn't sound political to me because it's not guy with guitar or oh yeah. this doesn't remind me of Crass or DB yeah. Punk. Ergo I will not listen to this. This isn't true yeah. punk or something. But yeah. this label, they put on this massive festival and they're really mm. revered in that punk community. But they oh, were cool. like, and they were like, hey, Kapil's angry about the same shit that we're angry about. Yeah. Just, because mm-hmm. he's, just because he's delivering the message in a different way, yeah. it doesn't make it less valid, you know? And yeah, exactly. they, were, yeah, they were giving me shows before South By, before Rolling Stone, before all this shit. It was like looking back on it, because a lot of Scot like this year Scotland's taking me a lot more seriously. I think with mm-hmm. COVID, they're kind of going, Hey, who are we not paying attention to in Scotland? Yeah. Because we can't go outside, we've got more time to yeah. go online. And a lot of people discovered me this year and my music. But it's like, you know, before I had all this kind of brand recognition for want of a better way of describing it, <laughs> it was all about people who got what I was doing and that often yeah. wasn't people in Scotland. You know, yeah. I found more fans near you than I did near me, to be honest. Like if I had, because I used to look at my Spotify listening figures and I'd have way more listens near Toronto than I did in Scotland. Oh, wow. But it's like the only reason I'm finding an audience now in Scotland is thanks to like Punk guys like Derek from make that a take and okay, you, cool. you know people who are open-minded, but as you yeah. said, not going, hey, punk is stuff that generically sounds like a dictionary definition of what punk should sound yeah. like. You know, Derek was like, hey, this is political, you know, it doesn't follow the rules, but that's what punk is. And
0: yeah, exactly. It's
1: really great. I'm so happy people like that still exist because I'm yeah. all because you get worried that music you worry that music in twenty twenty is almost there's a lot of gatekeeping going on. There's like, yeah. this isn't punk, or this isn't rock, or this isn't protest music. And yeah. it's all, I feel like there's like this cabal of old dudes just commanding everything, going, hey, this is yeah. my definition of music, and that's all there is. And it's cool that there's people out there who are still open-minded, and I'm really yeah. thankful they exist for that reason, you know?
0: Cool. So we mentioned like the couple of the songs on the album. So one of the yep. songs which we featured on the website, and I know you released the video for, is mm. the Garo.
1: Stades that your faith instructs Let a better interrupt my thoughts Another uh, sign of things to come. Reconsider your tone. Now, what was the concept behind that song? So the concept behind that song is um, there's this big wave of like period epics in Bollywood happening just now. Basically, there's a lot of um, historical kind of dramas happening, depicting epic battles and stuff. And on the surface, I can see why these are popular. You know, you you remember the Lord of the Rings films coming out. Epic battles are like, um, you know, they're such a crowd pleaser and people go out to see them in droves and stuff. But it's like... In Bollywood, these films are coming out with some really, like, like dark politics in mind. Yeah. And I kind of thought, hey, I want to write a song about this. So the Gharial about the fact that there's a lot of, um, like, a, for want of a better way of describing it, there's a lot of conflict between people oh, of mind. different faiths in India and yeah. people of those backgrounds abroad. And namely, yeah. there's a lot of fighting between Hindus and Muslims. Oh, and essentially, yeah. Essentially what happening is there's a lot of polit- political unrest in India around stuff like Kashmir and yeah. passing of these really big kinds of legislation like the Citizenship Amendment Bill, and the National Register of Citizens. Yeah. And essentially, long story short, these bills essentially kind of the grant specific statuses to people depending on their faith and that be okay. you, you're treated by the government a certain way if you're Hindu versus if you're Muslim. And there's a lot of unrest because people, varying groups of people are brawling over whether it's unfair to treat a Hindu this way versus treating a Muslim this way. And there's a lot of, and the the unfortunate thing is there's a lot of really violent, um, like violent consequences to this legislation being passed. There's a lot of rioting. there's a lot of people burning down places of worship, people burning down temples, people burning down mosques and there's a lot of this guy did this to me, I'm going to do worse to him, a lot of tit for tat, eye for an eye kind of stuff and Bollywood's clearly seen this and realized that hey Hindus versus Muslims is really profitable right now, what if we made a film that kind of stoked that conflict and got people really riled up (laughs) yeah yeah by exploring that though they're making heinous amounts of cash like yeah. these films are so profitable like they're so successful and yeah. there's a film from 2018 called Padmavat, which is one of the first really big films to do this and they stir up a lot of controversy depicting this kind of queen from like Hindu mythology Hindu yeah. mythology as being like a love interest for like a Muslim king and this riled a lot of people up. There were protests before the film media. They're boy- looking for a boycott of the film before they'd even seen it and all this sh- and all this kind of stuff. And it was like, yeah. it made a lot of money despite all of this controversy. Uh, so what I wanted to get out with Gary is, yeah, it's all great. I get the films need to make money, but people are literally burning down places of worship. People are getting into battle with ammunitions and weaponry right now. And there's yeah. so much political unrest without you stoking tensions further just for the sake of a quick buck and i just yep. think that it's a really irresponsible thing for i mean bollywood's not short of money even in the pandemic it's yeah. it's like one of the most profitable film industries if not one of if not the most profitable film industry in the world why does it need to be engaging in these kind of less savory kinds of means just to be making money and a gharial is a type of cro- I mean, it's a really specific reference a gharial is yep. a type of crocodile and yep. there's a scene in a bollywood film called tanhaji the unsung warrior that came out in yep. january of 2020 and in this yep. film there's a is a cartoonish muslim looking antagonist like he's depicted in a very caricature kind of way and he's barbecuing and eating a crocodile in one scene and it's meant to be a historical reenactment of a yeah. real battle. This film, but that that scene never happened. There's yeah. no evidence of it, and it just looks really pantomime and silly. But the reason that film exists is, oh, this Muslim character's roasting an animal that's significant to Hindus on screen. All the Hindus in the theatre are going to get really angry about that, yeah. and then their hatred of Muslims is going to go up as a result of this because they'll just take what they see as face value, on face value almost, and. You know, it's like, you're going to keep riling up these tensions, stoking this hatred between Hindus and Muslims yeah. and make more money as you're doing. So I'm sitting there going, no, you can't do that anymore. That's really yeah. irresponsible. And that's what I'm calling out with Gary Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I think it's a powerful message because even those, because obviously there's a number of people that listen to your music that might not be familiar with Bollywood. But the idea sure. of film is yeah. propaganda, be mm. a powerful statement. Because other cultures funny. have similar issues.
1: Mm. It's it's funny because my my music attracts like really like disparate groups of people. I think yeah. because I think there's a lot of people who like like kind of protest like punk music who love my stuff there's people yep. who, in my, who love my music who like like any classical music but yeah. there's also people who like random influences i've got like i really love like there's this era of guitar music from the early 90s from like merge records and yeah and american labels like skin graft that i yep. absolutely adore and i ape a lot of those guitar bands and the music but you've got people who love that kind of music and they find yep. that in what i do and they listen to it yep. but they'll find themselves listening to a song i put out and going hey, I love the guitar part in this song, but what's it about? And they'll go and they'll read about it. And people have learned a whole lot from the stuff I sing about. And people come back to me and say, hey, I didn't know this was the thing. Like, so many people went, the cast system affects billions of people. And yet, I had no idea until, like, I heard your album. And that's really humbling because I'm not the first person to sing about this far from it I'd like to platform people who've been doing it much longer than me but to know that I'm reaching even one person is amazing so yeah as you've said reaching people like you know reaching people like outside what I'm like like what they're used to listening to yeah. for that reason alone is fantastic as you've said yeah
0: yeah I think that's the cool thing about music like mm. with myself uh, a lot of my education comes from music so especially as someone who listens to political music
1: Yeah, yeah. Because there's
0: certain things, like here in Canada, you're not going to hear a lot the news about India or about Bollywood, about the caste system. So it's informative Mm -hmm. that way. A lot of other artists I listen to, they expose me to situations I wouldn't know anything about otherwise. And then, obviously, a three-minute song is limited in scope, but Mm -hmm. it forces you to do research. So you now go out and you educate yourself a bit more. I know another song you released was The Pink Mirror. While I'm undecided as
1: to whether I will intervene, you would criticize it as if I intended to impeach. The Pink Mirror. So, what was the motivation behind that song? So, The Pink Mirror, the song's like mostly about censorship, but it's also about what does it mean when the people who tell stories about a certain issue aren't the people who live those stories and have any real experience of it? And the song's named after this film called The Pink Mirror by this director called Shreda Rangain, and he's a, he's a queer filmmaker. I'm, he broke a lot of new ground with oh. that film when he released it in the very, very early, early yeah. 2000s. And that film was immediately banned in India yeah. as being, you know, vulgar essentially, because it depicts, you know, queer and trans characters essentially being themselves. And essentially because the, ma- the vast majority of people are like, you know, heterosexual, straight, cis, yeah. whatever in, a, in, a, in India like the Film Sensory Board decided that the film wouldn't appeal to them and just banned it outright but here's yeah. the thing, trans and queer characters are depicted fairly commonly in Bollywood films but they're always, only they're, all, they're only ever depicted as comedic relief or as like shady antagonists and if you get like a, major, the, the reason I started investigating this stuff is I'm not, I'm not the kind of person who likes to live in an echo chamber. Yeah. I, don't like live, I don't like only speaking to people who agree with me. I mean, yeah. I draw a line at who I'm friends with, do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, there's a level of being right-wing after which I don't think we can be friends anymore. <laughs> but there's like a bit where we agree on some things and we, agree on, we disagree on other things. And I like yeah. debating stuff because at the end of the day, my music's not going to improve if I don't debate other people and learn, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because if I don't learn, then cross. You know, I want to know that what I'm trying to do of right wing people are things like caste and what I've written had a lot of like transphobic. Why is it that being right wing in India tra- correlates so visibly to me anyway? Yeah. With being really like, you know, weird about trans people or non binary people or gay people or, you know, bi people or whatever. It's like, why is being right wing so correlating with that? But then I realized that a lot of people who are centered to right wing in India and stuff and might disagree with what I sing about. They've probably grown up with these really one-dimensional depictions of, you know, of uh, LGBT, plus, like Q plus yep. people in media and you grow up with a really one-dimensional caricature or stereotype yep. and you don't question it and if you've not met a queer person or trans person in real life, yep. you've probably gone, oh, they'll be just like obscene in TV, they'll be like, you know, yep. a silly drag queen, or yeah. like someone who's really villainous and like out to sexually assault people. as yeah. is really common in the depictions in Bollywood cinema. And I'm sitting there going, why? Why is it that uh, trans women can be depicted as someone who's like a rapist or a murderer? That's actually a really common trope in Bollywood cinema. Oh. It's really disturbing. How can a trans person be depicted like that so often? But then. Yeah. Shooter and Guyan writes this film, The Pink Mirror, which depicts them in a really, like, you know, positive way, almost, yeah. because they're two-dimensional, dimen- three three-dimensional people. They're not two-dimensional yeah. anymore. They've got dreams, they've got hopes, they've got yeah. character. And That's this one gets bad. Why dreams. is that? <laughs> yeah, this is it. They're just... I have friends... Because you know, I keep saying this to, to people who are right-wing. It's like, yeah. have you ever just sat down and had a conversation from somebody who falls into this demographic? We literally talk about the same things that I'd speak to. I'm, you know, I'm straight and I'm cis. There's... Yeah. i'm actually singing out with my own perspective here i'm singing from yeah. the perspective of someone who would be influenced by it to be the same way had i not met loads of trans people and gay people yeah. and widened my perspective almost and yeah. you meet people and go hey have you ever met anybody who's fallen in this demographic yeah. the answer is always no it's like yeah. oh i just assumed they would be like the movies yeah. but then you realize who's writing the movies who's writing yeah. these two-dimensional characters and you realize oh it's straight you know like straight cis people who don't really care how these characters are depicted they're they're kind of looking for a cheap laugh they're going oh I need some comedic relief for my blockbuster film or oh I need a really like you know I need like a Batman villain-esque kind of antagonist for my murder thriller oh, I mean, you know, queer and trans people have always kind of been vilified anyway. Why don't I just use them? And you do that for generations and decades of cinema, it has an influence. And what I wanted to call out is, is, what's with this double standard of censorship where someone's literally telling their own story from lived experience, and they're blocked from te- That film, The Pink Mirror, is still banned in India. It's found again, it's found an audience in Canada. Yeah. But it's not got an audience in its own country, India, yeah. where the filmmakers shot. It it's was shown sad. in the UK. Yeah. It was shown in the UK. It was shown in the US. It was shown in Canada. And yet. Yeah. In India, you can't watch it. But the, yeah. the director, and who uh who, who created this for me, like this great film, it's only for all it's achieved, it's like a short film it's not even a, blo- a big blockbuster epic or anything yeah. but it's still banned in India but this guy tirelessly campaigns against the censorship of other queer films he runs this production company called Solaris Pictures who yeah. specifically platform and distribute queer Indian cinema and he runs this queer Indian film festival every year mm-hmm. and like The guy's done so many amazing things off the back of the frustration basically of having his story blocked. And it's like, I wanted to tell the story of how that films persisted, but also give a little back as well. And I'm donating all the profits or all the money that the song, the single makes all the royalties, all the band camp sales to Solaris Pictures so that hopefully what my tune does achieve, what my tune, my song achieves helps his cause a little bit, you know? So yeah more or less exploring censorship, but also exploring who's being allowed to tell the stories. And is it a a coincidence that the most one-dimensional, two-dimensional depictions of people come from people who don't know what it's like to be that kind of person? Is that a coincidence? And I don't think it is. So yeah, that's more or less what that song's about. I
0: think that's something like even in, if you look here in North America, Mm. quite often the depictions of underrepresented individuals unfortunately, come from individuals that,
1: as it comes from white straight people, yeah, but the it's, stories of the... Yeah, I didn't even, you know, the funny thing as well is I'm not even one of those people who, I don't fall into that identity politics yeah. where I, you know, I, I where I'm like opposed to all white people or all straight people, or yeah. all cis people, you know, it's like... I have a lot of, I I find it really important that class consciousness forms a part of my personal politics because it's like white people can be poor, white people can have abilities, white people can, you know, they can grow up without class privilege and stuff. It's like these things all matter. Like there's a real big problem in the UK where every person of color who has a platform has lots of class privilege so it's like hey it's the same cabal of rich people oh but they're all different shades or it's every different se- it's every sexuality and gender but yeah. everyone's really rich to begin with and it's like hey class really matters and that stuff yeah. has an influence and to me it's like yeah, white, straight, cis people have such an influence when it comes to media in the West. But bigger, the bigger running themes, probably just, it's always people with class privilege, isn't it? It's always people yeah. who had all the money to begin with. And with that money comes all the influence. And it's almost like, hey, who's telling the stories? Oh, it's often poor people being depicted by rich people, which yeah. is why poor people are so... I mean, how often are poor people depicted as people as lazy or people who oh, you could have got yourself out of poverty if you just yeah. weren't hard enough. And all this myth of trickle-down economics. Yeah. Pu- the phrase pulling, up, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps is meant to be satirical. It's meant yeah. to be that pulling up your bootstraps is impossible. It's yeah. a joke. that yeah. It's not possible to do that. That's yeah. why we're saying that. And yet, like, oh, you have a way out of poverty to do it. And it'll always be somebody who didn't have to do that themselves saying that. It'll be like, hey I got this job because my I did an internship with my dad's company or yeah. hey I went to a pro you know I was privately educated I I went to a good university because I could afford the fees I eat my parents it's good yeah and it's like to me people of class privilege are always pulling the strings aren't they yeah Head. There's so much truth in people of a certain race or people of a certain uh, sexual orientation or people who are cisgendered being the ones calling yeah. all the shots and it's them censoring everyone else, isn't it? So yeah. it's like yeah. no small coincidence that that's the way things end up and that's the, the attitudes people have.
0: Okay. So as we are even highlighted throughout our discussion today, someone basically right now, all the music you write deals with political issues. So... Why do you feel it's important to use your music to speak upon these issues?
1: I think music, music's a really unique medium for politics, I think, because a film is a big commitment. It might A film might only be an hour and a half long, or an yep. hour long, or it might be a short film that's like 40 yep. minutes long. But it's a commitment isn't it you have to yeah. sit down and you have to focus and you have to watch it a book's an even bigger commitment you yeah. have 300 odd pages or something and yeah that might take you a week to finish you know yeah and if you don't sit and do all 300 pages the message might not make sense with a song though yeah you can listen to a song while you do other things you can
0: yeah.
1: stick a song on in the background of a film you could yeah. a song could like a book could get made into a film and a song frames what that book is about and for me it's I mean again music's always been my chosen medium like I make visual art as well but and I like collaborating with filmmakers and music videos and things I like being multidisciplined in my approach but music is my medium music is that music's my tool for getting what I want to say across and I feel like there's something incredible about the fact that you can you you could write a song on, a, on an acoustic yeah. guitar, three music. my music's kind of the opposite. It's kind of synths and industrial kind of percussion coming in and out. My friend, to, to write a great song, all he yeah. needs is like, maybe not even three chords, maybe just yeah. two. And this guy just strings two chords together, writes yeah. an amazing pop song out of it. And then, like can barely play upstrokes on the guitar just thrashing <laughs> it out singing some songs about being trans and what that means but it's like anybody who can learn those two chords yep. can then learn that song and then cover it and then amplify the message even further and yeah to me that's like you can't do that with film like you can't no. cover a movie you can't cover a book like the best thing you can do is you can do a, a showing of a film or you can do yeah. a, you can do a reading of a book or you can make you know you could you could uh, tweet a, a quote from it or something but yeah. in all these cases there's some element of I need to get permission from the original author or I need mm-hmm. to go through like the setup to get this to make sense so if you have a showing of a film and no one turns up to hate and like to watch it's like you haven't succeeded whereas yeah. So there's something really romantic and incredible about just hey I have two songs, so I have two chords, and I'm really mad about something. And you stick those two, stick those three things together, and then all of a sudden you have this document that all you need to do is teach someone the two chords, and they can they can amplify your message. Or you could stick that song in a playlist, and then all of a yeah. sudden it's in amongst similar songs. Or that song's in the background of a movie, or It could be on in the, you know, you could, you don't even have to really focus on it. You could just have it on the background while you do something else. Music's such a, there's something really like, I don't know how to just be anything. It could be everything and it could be nothing all at the same time. And I feel like there's something really dangerous about that. But there's something really like powerful too. Like you can just kind of, and I feel like, one, because I feel like, the first thing I was ever good at was playing the guitar and singing songs. Yeah. And that might be the only thing that I'm ever truly good at, in my opinion. But I feel like it's the thing that I'm not only best at, but the thing that I enjoy the most. Like when I'm angry about something and the song's coming together, there's nothing more satisfying than getting it out there and having someone vibe with it. So I guess I don't have a choice. I feel <laughs> like music's the way I do it and there's no other way for me to do this what This is do. your call one. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I really wanted to I was thinking about this before this interview is there a non cheesy way of getting this across but it's the only way I can articulate it it's like there's no other way for me to do what I'm doing like I feel like if I was a filmmaker I don't think I could do it as effectively like my brain is almost my brain's programmed in such a way that music is the way that it does things the best like yeah. everyone's talented in a different way like if I was to write uh, a comedy a black comedy or something to try and get like uh, a point across like yeah. I recently watched a great short film about castism and how terrible it is but it's like a black comedy and it's great for what it does yeah I could have never written that but I yeah. can write a song that says the same thing you know so mm-hmm. yeah I think it's as much about knowing what you want to do, it's about knowing what you're good at yeah. and knowing what... Because I remember the first time I heard protest music that made me go, hey, this is what I want to do. But then all of a sudden, everything made sense. And all of a sudden, I went, yeah. oh, I can do this now. And all of a sudden, the music I used to make, that I wasn't as good at, if I'm honest, it didn't matter anymore because I'd found the thing that I was good at. And I think yeah. there's no substitute for that, I think. There's no... There's no substitute for that feeling that you found the thing that you want to do with your life, I guess.
0: That music definitely is powerful. So if you're using your music to speak out on political issues, mm. have you ever experienced any backlash because of that?
1: Oh yeah, all the time. And it's, it's amusing as well because as my politics and my internet presence kind of develops, yeah. the nuance I have in what I sing about and what I write about and what I make yeah. visual art about it tends to it annoys people but it almost annoys them that they can't pick as many holes in it as they used to be able to as I learn more like yeah. when I pushed against cast a lot of people were like oh you're just um commodifying this for a white audience there was a lot of people saying oh cast isn't a thing anymore it was a thing hundreds of years ago uh you're just trying to make money off of like a zoo experience where you're like hey we're really backwards because we're not white and it's like a lot of people accused me of commodifying my own yeah. heritage to make money and it's like first of all have you heard my music it's not the most accessible thing in the world <laughs> if I wanted to make loads of money I, I'd probably produce breakup songs for someone who was like a teen pop star or something I wouldn't and you would write really my cast songs about <laughs> yeah I wouldn't write about honor killings and stuff that's shit is violent and really difficult to talk about and sing about yeah so 11 times out of 10 the people who would tell me to shut up were people who enjoyed caste privilege and it's funny because I noticed this loads in the US and loads in the UK too it's like people who love talking about a really narrow dimension of identity politics like as a POC I am oppressed and Every problem in my life is because of the white man. They often have caste privilege and they often have class privilege. And if you say to them, yeah, but why is it that your dad came, was headhunted for a job in the UK or in the US, but as soon as he landed here, there was already a network of other upper caste people to help him find a house, help him yeah. find a job, find a local religious community. How did all this stuff just appear for him? Like this infrastructure existed yeah. for him. And- it existed because of caste privilege, didn't it? Yeah. These people are loath to admit that. The last thing they want to do is admit that they haven't, that they've had a hand in their own success, you know? And it's like very telling that these people, that the same people who are like, don't talk about caste, don't talk about caste, are the same people who benefit from it. So a lot of pushbacks happened online. And like, you know, I feel like if I was touring this year, I would have yeah. had more people who Pushing to boycott my shows. Okay. I had a story specifically where there's a university in London called SOAS, and okay. like uh, they specify, this they, spe- they um they specialize in like kind of Asian, Oriental, and like kind of studies of like that oh, okay. part of the world. We were, they were doing a protest event against yeah. the caste system, and they said, yeah. "Okay, we need to get some musicians to play. Oh, Kapil, you're like that guy who does this a lot. Why don't you come down and?" You know, they covered my travel from Scotland to London and England to try and, um, you know, play some songs about the cast system. But I turned up and a lot of masks, people in masks, like, stormed the event and were trying to get it shut down by pulling all the fire alarms and disrupting shit. And, yeah, it it wasn't really well reported on, actually. But I can send you, like, loads of news clippings and things of it at the time. But it's like, yeah, I had tried to play this gig and... Literal mask protesters who are actually right wingers anyway. I tried to shut down, and it's funny because it's like, why don't you like? Surely the easiest thing to do would be to let me speak and then rebu- rebuff my argument and be like, "Hey, yeah. you're wrong because of this." Yeah. Why are you taking away my freedom of speech? And you realize it's because I'm. It's because I'm telling the truth, isn't it? It's like it's because me and the organizers of this event are uncovering something about yeah. you. That you're really uncomfortable about but the funny thing is is that cast is something that you know I enjoy cast privilege and ironically so did the people who wouldn't let me say that on a platform yeah. but it's like the people who kind of there's a running theme throughout the people who don't like me speaking yeah. about what I'm speaking about yeah. I am more than happy to be like hey, you're not into the kind of music I play. You don't like yeah. my guitar playing, or you don't like my singing voice. The style yeah. of music I play is very divisive. I've had many people say, I love what you do. I just don't, I just wouldn't listen to your music if I was, you know, sitting in the house. I wouldn't yeah. dance to your music. A lot yeah. of people say that. It's funny, the most common thing I've had about the new three singles is, yeah. I love this so much more than your old music, which is fine. You know, it'd be better. It'd be, it's much better than if people were like, I loved your first album. You've lost it. With this new stuff, it sucks. It's nice that it's the opposite. So yeah. the thing that I've heard the most is, is that like, yeah, my music's really divisive. But people tell me that like I don't know that. Like yeah. I would rather that a small sector of the population loved what I do than everyone thought yeah. it was okay. Because I feel like what is protest music that doesn't, yeah. that isn't divisive? Like what's the yeah. point in protest music that doesn't protest against anything? You, you know yeah. what I mean? It's like... I mean, with that new idols record we were talking about, I feel like every song has a, what's popular right now? We better say something about that so that people think we're plugging to the system. And it's like, yeah, but if you write a really bland record where you're not making any real points and everything is, hey, this is bad point on your record and it's just so basic and it's like yep. if you care about a cause you go deep on that cause you yep. go into the details because that, that's where the that's where the politics are you know yep. and for me cast isn't just saying it's bad it's explaining where it mm-hmm. is it's about explaining that hey that Bollywood song has a slur in its chorus And that slur is a castist one. And you've been singing that song along to the radio for months, but did you know that it's a really offensive slur? It's on par with the N-word or something. And yet you've just been singing it because it's mainstream. You think mainstream means it's okay. So you realize that, hey, who's censoring this? But who's not censoring that? And it's like, I think it's amusing when you think who's not not engaging with this and who is. And it's like, hey, if you don't... Like my music, no judgment there. There's yeah. loads of. Re- I mean, I'm sure you're the same. How many yeah. classic? There's so many classic albums that yeah. I don't yeah. get. Like, it'll yeah. be like trying to think of a great example. I love. She's not a protest musician per se. Yeah. I adore Joni Mitchell, but I only yeah. I only adore her later period where she was kind of like a more experimental. Yeah. yeah, I love like that late '70s trilogy of jazzy yeah. records she made, but. Yeah. I, don't, I never listened to Blue. I never listened oh. to, like, Ladies of the Canyon and that kind of stuff. I'm not yeah. I'm not really into her folky period. I yeah. respect it, but for yes. me, that's not where the greatness lies. Yeah. But there's loads of people who think the opposite. There's loads of people, like, who hate her jazzy period, but who yeah. love those folky things she did in the 60s, and only that. And yeah. to me, I'm like, music is subjective. Love it what is. you love, hate what you hate, and that's yeah. all great, but It's when people disagree with what I'm saying that it gets a bit more heated because it's like I'm saying honour killings are bad and somehow you're finding an issue with that what what the hell like I'm not saying that you've committed an honour killing and it's a bit like suspicious that you think that it's bad that I'm saying that like what's that all about but it's like you delve into the politics of the people who say these things and then you realize oh they're not just saying that. There's a, they're protecting their own interests. And yeah. I, I think that's across the board, isn't it? You could be talking it is. about...
0: Because yeah. quite often I talk to artists, they get backlash just for saying that police killing people are bad. Yeah. It's like, should we all yeah. agree with that? Or they're saying Black Lives Matter, or shouldn't we agree with that? Like, it's...
1: Yeah, it's funny. we should all
0: accept people are getting upset about it.
1: Yeah, no, it's funny, right? Because Black Lives Matter is a great analog for exploring like that kind of ideal because it's like, firstly, why is it that the phrase bothers you so much? Because people are like, because again, with cast, this happens all the time, like the whole whataboutism thing where people go, What do white lives not matter? And I'm like, we're only talking about black lives here. Yeah, That's what this thing is about. It's like on 9-11, do we talk about the other buildings that burnt down? No. No. Do all buildings matter? No. It's like we're talking about those specific towers that were attacked on that day. And you'll see the cruel irony as well that people who love saying all lives matter tend also to be the same people who hate refugees coming into the country are yeah. fleeing war, usually caused by Western democracies going into that country and bombing the shit out of them. It's like, yeah. oh, so we're allowed to bomb them for oil, but they're not allowed to flee. But when they're fleeing war, all lives don't matter. But yeah. when Black people just don't want to be shot in the street, Black lives don't matter. It's yeah. all lives matter. And that yep. kind of lack of, and you could even, you could apply that to anything. Like, yep. I remember when the whole Blue Lives Matter thing came yep. up and people were like, I believe in the police to do what they want. But then the police are saying, hey, don't, just wear a mask in the supermarket. Yeah. Hundreds of thousands of people have died. Yep. You can, we're not saying wear a mask at home. When you're in the company of other people that you don't yep. know, wear a mask. All of a sudden, blue lives don't matter. And you're yeah. yelling at cops, and you're yeah. protesting them, and you're boycotting them, when a month earlier, you were all about the cops. And that's another thing that I can't stand, is be consistent, you know? Yeah. Like, be consistent. It's like, if you, don't, if you don't care about the lives of Black people and police brutality, it doesn't make you a great person. But I, I can oh. get you might have too much on your plate to care yeah. about every issue that comes up. Like. Yeah. I always, I like being really honest about that. It's like, yeah. I go hard on a few causes. Right. Like, when it came, when Black Lives Matter came up, I kind of spent a lot of time talking about how casteism kind of hasn't built in an anti-blackness because yeah. a lot of the darker-skinned people were of lower caste. And it's not oh, a coincidence okay. that there's a lot of anti-blackness that travels in parallel of casteism. I talked about that because I feel like that's where I could do the most good. Yeah. I felt there's no hope that that would be good enough but it's like you can only care about a finite number care about every cause that arrives then abandon all the causes that you were working with in the the run-up it's like that's how nothing changes isn't it it's like nothing shit's never gonna get done if we drop what we're doing for the next new thing that's what happens when you it's like you're chasing like the coolest new band or whatever the coolest color of instagram filter is we're not talking about that shit anymore it's like this isn't a frivolous trend. Like, I'm really excited for the new Star Wars from coming out. But then they'll set it the next month too. Things aren't interchangeable. Like, one thing's like, well, one thing's a frivolous cause and the other affecting people. And it's like, if you should care about these things. And I get it. Some people aren't going to care about Black Lives Matter, are they? Some people are going to say, oh, I've got too much on my plate. I, I don't have the capacity to care about this on top of everything else I do. And I'm like, do you know what? I might not personally really respect that, but I get it. But it's when these same people yep. have the energy and the capacity to, to deter the movement. They're like, oh, I don't believe in Black Lives Matter, but I'm going to deter the people who do. And it's like, you know, why do you somehow suddenly have the energy and the space and the capacity to do this? And it's just like, it's very telling, isn't it? Like, I think there's this phrase, when people show you who they are, believe them. <laughs> and yes, it's like, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes someone's politics are kind of hidden, but there's always this mask off moment where, oh, this is the kind of person you are, you know? And it's, it could be something as simple as, oh, you really cared about cops until they made you wear a mask this, to the supermarket. Yeah. You really cared about all lives mattering until people who literally are fleeing or just want temporary radiation in your country when it's your country's government who bombed them. You know what I mean? I mean, who wants to cross a? I mean, I'm going to use a UK centric example, obviously, because my knowledge of Canadian politics aren't, or North American politics aren't strong, but it's like yeah. no one likes, no one wants to cross a dinghy in freezing cold wars, clutching no. their children, knowing that they might die. No, but, yeah. And people think there's this narrative in the UK. People who do that just want benefits. And I'm like, who wants, and because we have a welfare state here in the UK yeah. where, you can apply for help with rent or you can apply for help with food and things i'm like who wants to not work that badly that they're going to risk killing their whole family to do it no one yeah. wants to do that they're don't risk your life for nothing yeah you're not going to risk your life because you want to be also ironically it's a very you're not lazy if you're doing that are you no. like the idea hey i'm just going to casually risk killing everyone in my family in freezing cold water to go to this country where I don't speak the language, there's a lot of racism, everyone's really hostile to me, and the weather is terrible all the time. Who would leave their country, their home country, to do any of that? Oh, oh, because you might get housing benefit. Housing benefit isn't that good, guys. (laughs) The reason people are fleeing is religious extremism, war, like, this shit is really terrible, and yet you're just constantly meeting people who don't have this basic understanding. And you, I mean, I don't know what you're like, but I go blue, I go blue in the face, arguing with people online. And I've kind of, I've learned to know when to disengage because some people only go online to confirm what they already know. People Google the conclusions they want and then go, Hey, this blog that's not been peer reviewed agrees with me. Ergo I win the argument. And it's like, Anyone can go on like yeah. a Tumblr and write something. It doesn't, someone, anyone can get a stock photo and get a and make a meme out of it and share yeah. that online, you know? And it's like, you need to be able to fact check, fact check shit, but it's like, are people gonna do that? Probably not. I think people are, I, th- that's a cynical part of me coming out, but it's like, you realize that a lot of people They're going to believe what they're going to believe. And it's like, they're probably not going to change their minds. But that's one kind of person. But there's a spectrum, isn't it? For every one person there is like that, there's this this person who's maybe softer on that kind of rhetoric who go, oh, I didn't know that. And listening to a song could be all it takes to change their mind. And that's what I'm I'm all about, I suppose. And that's a mission statement, if anything.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think that's part of the power of music there. So you mentioned, like you already mentioned a few of your musical influences. Ooh. Is there anyone else that you'd like to mention that influenced you musically?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, in terms of, I think going back over what we've talked about, I mean, yeah. the band that I saw live that made me go, what am I doing? Like, I need yeah. to do something political. I need to do something political yeah. right now. part probably the school. Shout out that label, make that take records, and Dundee who like platform really, really cool people. But in terms of musical influences, it's funny because people always kind of expect me to reel off loads of protest folk albums that I love. But (laughs) A Sacred Boar was influenced mostly by two things. The films of this filmmaker called Satyajit Ray, who made the Apu trilogy. Apu from The Simpsons is named after this trilogy of films that he did. That's like the thing that put him on the map a wee bit. But... This filmmaker made loads of socially conscious films in the 50s and 60s and 70s. I'll link you to his stuff after the chat. But um, he um, he made all these films and cast was one of the things he kind of talked about. He talked about poverty and class and cast. And I watched his movies and was just really moved by them. And I thought, wow, I really want to write some tunes that give me the feelings that this film had watching it. So... Yeah. It's not a, he's not a band or anything, but that yeah. filmmaker definitely did it for me. In terms of music, though, the big influence for me is, like, uh, people kind of think of him as a one-hit wonder, but Scott Walker is, like, the big one for me. Oh, okay. Like, he had a... He was in the Walker Brothers in the 60s, and they had this hit, Son Ain't Gonna Sign in the 60s, but... Yeah. I know
0: later he on he had a bit of a cult following after yeah,
1: that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I am uh, yeah yeah so later in his life he had that cult following and yeah, yeah I'm like a, I'm like an upper tier mega fan of that like in oh, wow. that cult basically. where it's like he released this album called The Drift in 2006 and if you thought my album was a difficult listen in places oh man his uh, it, I can't stress it enough though go and listen to it because in terms of protest music like no one's doing stuff like that this album is 14 years old and it's still leagues ahead of the shit people are doing these days and i listened to this album the drift by scott walker in 2009 it'd only been out for like three or four years at that point but it's like it came out and it just blew my mind like i feel like it changed like the chemicals in my brain almost like changed listening oh, wow. to it because it's, it's, no, no no i can't stress it enough like yeah. the music on it the first time you listen to it the music on it sounds really alien and you think and you go why would someone make music like this but then you come back to it and you don't know why because something about that that makes you go oh something about that intrigued me and you come back to it and you go huh i really like x or y thing about this song right and then you go right and then you keep listening to it listen to it, yeah. listening to it the politics of it are really interesting because i write music like this now because of this album and a couple of songs on this album in particular the songs on the drift aren't They're not like verse-chorus, verse-chorus, mid-late, outro, they're not like that. My songs are way more like that. His songs are like, the songs in the album, each song's like an essay where he's written like a paragraph or or three about a topic and then set it to music and like, there's like an essay on, um, I I should qualify how batshit crazy so much of the album is. It's like, there's a single off the album, is called Jesse. The song is about, and I, I, I'm not, I'm not, and I shit, you know, this is exactly what the song is about. Yeah. The song is about 9-11 and the fallout from 9-11, but Scott Walker is exploring the fallout from 9-11 through the story about Elvis's. So Elvis was actually one of twins that was born, but his twin brother never made it. Elvis had a twin brother who was stillborn called Jesse. And towards the very end of Elvis's life, when drug use and, like, partying hard too much caught up with him and he'd kind of gone a bit insane, uh, Elvis would sit in his back garden talking to Jesse. Like, he had gone insane. And in his mind, he he could see his twin brother, his stillborn twin brother that he'd never known because he'd never lived. And Scott Walker, like, got this story and used this idea of uh, Jesse... Scott Walker's twin brother and them having a conversation to kind of explore 9-11 and you probably listen to that thinking that is insane why would anyone write a song like that but it's like I listen to it and I go no one's ever done something like that I've never experienced a a more original way of exploring a topic and it's like yeah and it's like the song's like for a single it's not a very catchy piece of music no. it's so interesting and yeah. dense there's so much thought into every second of music and it's like i listened to that religiously for years and it took a long time before it, there was a long time between me hearing the album for the first time and me yeah. releasing a sacred bore because it takes a long time to digest what's happening you yeah. know scott walker he died in march of 2019 i think it was like he died around the time i was in america doing south west and um i was thinking about that a lot because it took i heard the album and it took me 10 years to start making music that was properly influenced by it but yeah his music is just i recommend anyone who listens to this podcast to go out and check out the drift by scott walker and you might listen to it and think this isn't protest music is it the first time you hear it but like just google what the songs are about have a listen like listen to what the lyrics are and stuff and it's like um, on my desk I have this, I'll get out actually, on my desk I have this like uh, this book my wife gave me for my birthday, it's called Sundog and it's like a compilation of his lyrics and some of them are for songs that he never finished even when he died and I read them and I I, I, I garner so much political rhetoric from this. This guy was mad about things, this guy was depressed about things, this guy was having nightmares about certain causes. And he thought, man, how, how do I grapple with how I feel? He did it he he did it through song again. And it's like he had this medium through which he, he processed his emotions and his opinions and that's how it yeah. came across. So yeah, long story short, man, Scott Walker changed my life listening to that guy. And like I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today had it not been for that album and for what influence he's left for that legacy he's left behind. I mean I have loads of other more like, you know, obvious influences when it comes to what I do. I mean, my last record, it's like, I'm really into D'Angelo, his last two records. Again, years between each record, like, R&B is such a political genre and people don't give it that credit. Where a really big influence on my new album is uh, Solange and her music. And her record, A Seat at the Table is beautiful. Oh, that's a powerful album. Yeah, and it's just like, it's so angry though, isn't it? And it's like people so angry she's so angry about race she's so angry about women in the music industry yeah. she's so angry about and she talks about she distills experiences like even her dad went through on her songs and it's yeah. like I listen to that and I go that's every bit as political as a Woody Guthrie record or yeah. a Bob Dylan record for me you know it and it's like for me this new kind of music I'm making in terms yeah. of the old album and the new album versus the old one it's yeah. no less political for me no. even if I Approaching it in a slightly different way. So, I hope
0: that answers your question there. Yep, it does. And I think that's an important thing. And that's even something we try to do at the website. There's more than one way to deliver the message through the music. For uh, sure. Not for just, so, as yeah, you mentioned, I mean, it doesn't have to be a folk singer for guitar. Mm. I you mean,
1: this is it. I mean, and it's a thing, like I that I like I run that website that I run, dot Futurism.com, is almost like the more positive side of with my music, I'm critiquing a lot of negative aspects of being yeah. South Asian. With my website, I'm almost like, hey, here's this person doing this awesome thing. Have yeah. a read about them. I'm gonna interview them. And like I've interviewed like I've actually interviewed a producer who worked on a seat at the table by Salon. So that was a oh. bit serendipitous actually meeting one of them. It was great. But like yeah. One of them I interviewed a writer for HBO who's doing loads of anti-racism and anti mm-hmm. like, like class consciousness stuff in her work and just there's loads of people doing really cool shit and for whatever reason they're not visible and I want to I want to stick my flag in the ground and be like I'm going to help you get some visibility and it's not a massive website it enjoys a small cult following but the fact that it's got that following is really humbling but it's like I interviewed this um, rapper called Lush Life. This was the second interview I ever did for that website. He was oh, saying okay. how, and he said this thing that's really relevant to our conversation that we're having this now. Yeah. He said, yeah. hip hop is anything that you want it to be. Yeah. Like you could get a ukulele sample and a beatboxer and you've got hip hop right there. Yeah. You could have 808s and a synthesizer. Yeah. You could have no drums and just have someone freestyling it. It's still hip hop. And it's like, I love that. And I think, protest music and punk should be like that too. Yeah, I think we discussed that earlier about what's punk. Yeah. Yeah. And it shouldn't be gate-kept and I think it's why like, I love, I'm like, I'm a big fan of like 70s rock and classic rock, I grew up with that. But it's like, it's not the dangerous political music anymore, is it? Hip-hop's very much kind of taking the torch now, isn't it? And it's like, I think half the reason the hip-hop manages that is that it's just so inclusive, like you can be anyone and be an amazing rapper or an amazing producer. You just have to be passionate, you know? And it's like, I love the, it's funny. It's like, there's as much right wing hip hop out there as there is left wing hip hop. And I think that's great. Like no one's getting their, no one's opinion is less valid. Like obviously, you know, it sounds like me and you might be similarly like politically speaking, but it's like, we might meet somebody or come across a song that's quite, I've come across like really pro-government Indian rappers who are like singing against the exact things that I sing about and I'm I'm not it's it's a weird one because I'm happy that they're doing that because it's like I'm learning about their point of view in a very specific way but it's like their opinions are being suppressed I might not be friends with them I might not go drinking with them but that doesn't mean that I'm not interested in learning about what they have to say and I think I think left-wing people have to be more open to that I mean there's an element of would you debate a Nazi? Of course not. But not yeah. everyone's a Nazi. Do you know I mean? Not everyone's an out and out white supremacist. There's people out there who can be convinced if you just acknowledge if you just acknowledge that yeah. they want the conversation. But I get that people get emotional. I know so many people who are just beyond. You're either left wing already, or I'm blocking you. <laughs> and it's like yeah. people like that. Some of them are just really tired, and I I get it. Like you're not going to have an infinite capacity to debate people online or debate people in person you know and sometimes you just get tired calling shit out like you just go on twitter and you go oh yeah
0: twitter can be taught, here's yeah. another
1: thing. <laughs> yeah you'll go, here's another thing that if i don't say something it's just gonna get more momentum isn't it i have to derail this thing and you do that 24 hours a day seven days a week and all of a sudden you can't do that anymore and i get how people like I see it like I see why activists get exhausted. You need to step back sometimes and go, Hey, it's okay to take some time away from politics. It doesn't mean you're lazy. It doesn't mean you don't care. It means that you're building a sustainable model by which to achieve things. Like If you don't care about the causes and you're just going really hard for a week and then you go, Oh, I went really hard on feminism last week. I've had it. That's it. Whereas you, what you really want to do is find a sustainable way of doing it, and yeah. if that's stepping away for a little bit, that's what you're gonna do. And I think you know it's probably the same with yourself. It's like you're yeah. running this website, you're running this podcast. You can't go hard on it all the time, or you'd no. get sick of it, wouldn't you? you wanna no. find a, a sustainable way of continuing. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yep, yeah, that's true. So I definitely enjoyed our discussion. Before we mm-hmm. conclude. Is there anything else you want to say or plug?
1: Anything I want to say? I feel like I've plugged everything I was going to plug. Listen to The Drift by Scott Walker. Okay. Spook from Edinburgh. They're not around anymore. but They're an amazing Scottish band, so I think a lot of people could get a lot from if they listen to them. Um, In terms of my own music, my next album, LAL, drops in in, uh, August or September of 2021. Look out for my next single in January of 2021. Mm -hmm. I'm hopefully going to be pairing it with like a residency, like where I'm going to explore the topic. I can't talk about it too much just now, but I'll obviously be back in touch with the new single and, you know, yeah. Head to DesiFuturism.com. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram at my full name, I'm on Twitter at the Desi Futurist. Yeah, tweet me, argue with me, agree with me. Uh-huh. It's all good. It's all good. So, yeah, thanks again for chatting to me.
0: Yeah, cool. So, what's the best place to find your music? Would it be Bandcamp or.
1: Bandcamp, Spotify, are like the main pl- platforms you can find me. I go really hard in politics on, on Instagram. Like okay. I go really like if you want to learn more about what my songs are about and what my politics are about and more about things like cast and yep. what's happening in Kashmir and Indian cinema, head to my Instagram. That's
0: the best place to go for that. So I think yep. uh, definitely encourage our listeners to check out your music and to check out those other recommendations you made. So thanks again. I enjoyed our discussion. But this concludes episode 23 of the Ongoing History of Protest Music podcast. You can leave feedback or any comments at the contact page of the website, OngoingHistoryOfProtestsongs.com, or you can direct message me at Twitter at tunes.com a protest. You can also leave me a voice message and a link will be included on the website or whatever platform you're listening from. Also, concerning the voice message feature, I'm asking you for your assistance on a special project. So as previously mentioned on the podcast and the website, I'm working on a 500 protest albums project. I'm reaching out to journalists, music historians, and musicians and asking them to send me a list of their favorite protest albums, up to 50 protest albums. And i have also sent out a Google document so that Podcast listeners and website visitors can also send their personal list of up to fifty protest albums. So, in connection with the voice meshes feature, I'm also asking for you to record voice meshes stating your personal favorite protest album and making a brief statement of why that album why you personally connect to that album. I plan on including a few of these comments in a future episode of the podcast. And also, any voice messages will be included as a vote as part of that 500 Protest Albums project. I also recently started a Patreon, which could be checked out, at Patreon, patreon.com slash ongoing history of protest music. Patrons will get exclusive content, early access, and included in this exclusive content will be a special monthly patron exclusive episode. It'll include exclusive video content. So once again, I'd like to thank my special guest, Kapil Sissasai. I'm going to conclude by playing the title track off his 2018 album, Sacred Ball. Thanks for listening, and please stay safe.